Have you ever wondered what it's like to sit in on a magazine editorial meeting? Well, this is your chance. You're listening to Salt Lake Speaks, a monthly podcast where our editors, writers, and staff dig deeper into stories, chat with newsmakers, and talk amongst ourselves about arts, culture, food, music, politics, or whatever else might strike our fancy. After all, we are Utah's biggest fans. I'm Mary Brown Maloof. I'm Glenn Warchel. I am Christy Marcy. And we're Salt Lake Speaks. This is Salt Lake Speaks, and we're here today to talk about the effects of altitude on mood. We have Dr. Perry Renshaw of the Brain Institute at the University of Utah, who with his team has been doing quite a bit of research into the effects of altitude on mood, depression, and that in particular is what we're going to talk about today. Um, Dr. Renshaw, you and I have talked about this before, and you've turned up some surprising evidence and data about living at higher altitudes and the effect it has on how we feel. And one of the effects that's specifically important in Utah is the effects on depression and and other mood factors. Uh, could you explain this altitude relationship? Uh, well, I can try. Uh, <laughs> uh, our research has suggested that uh, as one goes up in altitude, uh, not necessarily only in Utah or only in the United States, but uh, now across every continent in the world, uh, there tends to be more depression and also more anxiety in people as they go up further in altitude. Um, this is sort of a surprising effect um, in that it hadn't been identified or commented on much in the uh, published literature until very recently. But nonetheless, it's a finding that's now getting more and more replication and, and really seems to be uh, playing a pretty big factor, perhaps, if we look at differences in how rates of depression or suicide vary across the United States. Any, I mean, is there any uh, idea at this point the biological mechanism that's being affected by altitude? Well, the, the nice thing about this story is that it, it may be pretty simple in the end, and that is there is one neurotransmitter in our brain, serotonin, that's primarily responsible for uh, how we feel in terms of our mood, both with depression and anxiety. Uh, as the air gets thinner, and certainly we're all familiar with uh, people coming to visit us here in Salt Lake getting off the plane and being somewhat short of breath, the brain has a much harder time actually making serotonin. If you take animals uh, up to the altitude of, say, uh, Colorado Springs, they will lose 30% of their serotonin in about three hours. So the brain, for whatever reason, for this particular purpose, is, is exquisitely sensitive to the amount of oxygen that's available. Does this affect everybody? Does everybody getting off the plane or moving to a higher altitude, such as Salt Lake City, feel more depressed than normal? I mean... Well, not everyone has depression, and in fact, not everyone actually believes that depression exists, especially in the state of Utah. Uh, our observations of uh, folks who've come and worked with us uh, now for the last decade at the University of Utah is about a third of people will have a, a first pronounced episode of either depressive or an anxiety-related symptoms. And it can be quite severe. Uh, one of the things that's happened since we started doing this research is we've gotten a lot of wonderful feedback from people by email talking about their experiences and these mood changes can happen pretty quickly that for people who know they struggle with depression or with anxiety 
the anxiety symptoms can come on right away uh, and in fact be so severe as to cause panic attacks. The depressive symptoms uh, occur over 24 to 48 hours. So if you go on a work trip oh, to some place that's above 2,000 feet and you're a, a ground level uh, denizen, you've got about a 30% chance of feeling a little bit more blue or a little more lethargic at altitude uh, after only a day or two. Now, um, one of the things about from reading some of your uh, research is that in Salt Lake City, we think we're at a low altitude and that Park City and places like that are high altitude. But it looks like your studies have found that Salt Lake City itself is high enough to see these effects. Well, the wonderful question, how high is high? Uh, <laughs> and it depends on your purpose, of course. Uh, an investigator at Case Western Reserve University, Dr. Barry Brenner, has studied this in some detail. And if one looks at rates of depression or suicide, they begin to go up at about 2,000 feet. And the higher you go, the, the bigger the problem becomes. Uh, we've been able to repeat this experiment with rats, taking them up to simulated altitude. And at 5,000 feet, there's no question that they're acting much more depressed than they, they were at sea level. Uh, this, of course, has profound implications for the Rocky Mountain states, all of which are known to have higher rates of suicide. And in fact, the Rocky Mountain states are sometimes referred to as the suicide belt because rates of suicide year after year tend to be much higher in the Rocky Mountain states than in other parts of the country. Well, before we move on, just the, I just wanted to make the point that Salt Lake City itself is roughly 4,000 feet. Well, 4,300 feet uh, at the airport, 4,700 feet if you come and visit us uh, at the university, and 5,000 feet if you come over to our house to visit us. So it's well above the cutoff point for where we start. You researchers start seeing this issue appearing. Yeah, and, 2000 and, and in fact, Utah is the third highest state in the United States. Uh, Colorado <clears throat> is the first highest. Wyoming is just a shade higher than Utah, according to the U.S. Geological Survey. And Utah is the third highest region. It would be very difficult to find almost any part of Utah that was at an altitude of less than 2,000 feet. Which, which brings up a serious issue, as you had mentioned, suicide. Utah, if our listeners don't know, sort of trades positions in the top five states for suicide with Wyoming, Colorado, and other mountain states. So this, is, this effect of altitude and lack of oxygen has a direct effect on one of the biggest social issues we have in Utah now, which is our suicide rate, our high, very high suicide rate. In fact, the state has a suicide specialist working to try to somehow reduce these things. Now, just to take this in a little bit different direction, um, many, many people take antidepressants for, for, for uh, depression. Do these not work? I mean, uh, does this not help mitigate this issue? Well, the answer, of course, is uh, yes and no. Uh, Many antidepressants, in fact, the most commonly prescribed antidepressants in the United States and around the world are called serotonin-specific reuptake inhibitors, or SSRIs. These are drugs like uh, Prozac and Paxil and Zoloft and uh, uh, Citalopram. Uh, and what we're finding when we use our animal models is that, in fact, as brain serotonin levels go down, these drugs all work somewhat less effectively. And in fact, in our animal model, the only uh, 
serotonin-based drug that worked relatively well was sertraline or Zoloft. And we think that's because the drug has other effects besides the SSRI effect. At least as we think about this, what is happening is your brain serotonin level is going down, so there's less of an opportunity for the antidepressant to work by blocking the reuptake of serotonin. And we're doing some clinical trials now with a, a very uh, well-known natural product, 5-hydroxytryptophan, or 5-HTP, uh, which completely bypasses the oxygen-sensitive step in the, uh, the production of serotonin in the brain. And this seems to be providing quite a bit of additional benefit to people who are taking SSRIs who feel like uh, they haven't gotten better. As always, you know, the caveat is these are things we observe in large groups of individuals and any person contemplating, you know, trying any of the, uh, these ideas for themselves or a family member or a friend uh, would be well advised to talk to their own primary care provider first. Not that we anticipate problems, but just to make sure that someone can keep an eye on you if you are you're trying to change your life uh, in this way. Should there be a warning at the airport that people who perhaps suffer uh, bipolar, a bipolar condition, be very careful because uh, if this takes effect in 24 hours, uh, they may be flying to town to go skiing and go up to 6,000 feet and be at a high risk for suicidal behavior. I think, in fact, you've done some mapping that shows suicides around ski resorts. Yeah, you know, if you, you had to pick a psychiatric disorder and say which one of these conditions is most closely related to suicide, by far it's bipolar disorder. That individuals with bipolar disorder have a, a much higher rate of suicide attempt and suicide completion. And unfortunately, this altitude effect seems to be particularly important for people who have bipolar disorder. Um, the classic story is that someone gets a job uh, in the, the Rocky Mountains or is going home after having been away for a while, uh, has bipolar disorder and doesn't realize that the effects of the move may, may be changing their mood in important ways. So I don't know if you, you need to advertise this in airports, but we do advise anybody who's going to take a extended trip to or stay at a much higher altitude to just be aware of the fact that you, you may experience uh, more anxiety or more depression. And critically, because it can sometimes be very difficult to get in touch with a mental health provider when you're out of town and you don't know anyone, just to make sure that uh, if you do have a psychiatrist who's looking out for you or a prescriber, uh, family doctor, whatever it might be, to make sure that they're aware that you're traveling and that you know that you can reach them just should you begin to feel worse during your travels. You know, this is, on one level, fascinating, this study, especially since we live in this environment with a high suicide rate and ski resorts. Why, why haven't we heard more about this, and, and why aren't you being buried in research grants to try to find the key to this? Well, maybe that I write terrible research grants. <laughs> uh, you know, I wouldn't want to rule that out, uh, you know, out of the starting gate. There's another effect on the brain, and, and this is sometimes what we, what we call the Utah paradox, that just as higher altitudes makes brain serotonin levels go down, higher altitudes also make brain dopamine, another neurotransmitter, levels go up. And dopamine is the neurotransmitter that allows us to assign pleasure to things that we enjoy, whether it's you know, having hot chocolate, reading a book, uh, taking a hike, uh, riding your bike, uh, basically anything that mediates your sense of enjoyment or satisfaction in completing an event 
is going to be stronger when you have higher rates of dopamine. And so on the one hand, Salt Lake City and Utah will rank very highly in terms of both depression and uh, suicide. Salt Lake City and the rest of the mountain cities and uh, states also ranks very highly in terms of quality of life. Uh, most Utahns feel that they love living in the mountains and uh, in the research that I've done since moving here from Boston, when I talk to people who've been away for a while and come back to the Salt Lake City area, 99% of the time when I ask them, well, you know, what brings you back apart from, you know, practically needing a job or something like that, it's the call of the mountains. And so we have this very funny system of neurotransmitters in our brain that responds to altitude by decreasing serotonin and increasing dopamine. So Utah, paradoxically, is both a very happy and a very sad place to live. The suicide finding is also interesting in another way, and that is if you look at other ways that people die, uh, it, living in the mountains is actually quite protective. So we have lower cancer-related deaths, we have lower heart disease-related deaths. A study in Europe showed that even people who have had heart transplants do better living in altitude. And part of the paradox here is that oxygen is a molecule that we need for generating energy very efficiently, but it's also a pretty dangerous molecule in that it can form reactive products. And so there's probably some optimal level of oxygen for all of us. Uh, and for those of us who have a family history of mood disorders or a personal history of mood or anxiety disorders, being aware that our moods can worsen with altitude becomes a useful fact just to put in the back of your mind in case you ever observe it yourself. Yeah, well, you know, and I think this Utah paradox is, again, fascinating and very interesting. And it seems like our uh, state's new tourism uh, slogan, Utah Life Elevated, should be Utah Life Elevated or really a bummer, uh, if it were honest. Uh, well, this is an effective elevation, so I think Life Elevated is, is fine. And again, it's not everyone who experiences these symptoms. Uh, in our experience, again, it's about a third of people will find, based on moving or flying to a higher altitude, that uh, they're, they're feeling worse. But it isn't something that uh, has really been the focus of much research attention until recently. The good news, at least from my selfish perspective, is that there are now studies published out of Austria, out of Spain, out of Chile, out of Peru, uh, out of South Korea, out of Japan, all of which, you know, also out of Saudi Arabia, show essentially the same thing, that as we as human beings go up in altitude, our brain's ability to make serotonin goes down, and that causes some but not all people to have problems with mood disorders. Now, um, one, one of the questions that, all, that always comes up in this discussion is, if you are a person who is suffering depression in Utah, what are your options besides moving to San Diego or something? Well, we're working very hard on some of our clinical trials, um, one of which involves a, a pro-energetic natural product, creatine monohydrate, which is more likely to be known to you if you're a bodybuilder than if you're depressed. But it turns out that muscles in the brain use exactly the same energetic pathways and systems. So that we find that... Um, uh, well, we did a clinical trial in South Korea with uh, women who were depressed, uh, who had been untreated prior to coming into the study. If we gave them Lexapro, uh, an antidepressant that's widely used in Salt Lake uh, County, it took them about six weeks to get better. If we gave them Lexapro plus uh, four grams of creatine a day, about twice the uh, amount of creatine that uh, 
uh, your body needs, uh, the women got better in two and a half weeks. So that uh, they had a much deep, better recovery and they had a much quicker recovery. The reason we studied women is because we've also done studies with animals in which we feed them creatine-enriched diets. And uh, if we feed male rats creatine, they don't think much of it one way or another. But the female rats go sort of off the scale, off the charts in terms of showing improvements in depression-like behavior, which is why most of our studies to this point have in involved um, uh, female subjects. Now, creatine, is, is this 5-HTP uh, over-the-counter supplement? So, so both of the, the supplements that we've talked about, or that I've talked about, creatine monohydrate, you can buy a kilogram of it, a ridiculous amount, for about $20 in any general nutrition store. 5-HTP, uh, going back 20 or 30 years, was going to be the next great antidepressant. Um, and it sort of got replaced by the SSRIs when Prozac proved to be successful in part because Prozac also is very good at reducing anxiety, especially social anxiety. But 5-HTP is also sold in health food stores, two or 300 milligram tablets. And there is a pretty substantial body of literature that suggests that it will be antidepressant in and of itself. And these are both strategies that we've been using to try and improve outcomes. In some ways we think about it as being either giving brain cells the energy or the alternative way of making serotonin that they need to restore mood back to a, a non-depressed level. Now, where are you moving to, to um, make your research more uh, applicable to general things, to the point that perhaps uh, a uh, psychologist or psychiatrist might, might, say, might uh, prescribe some of these supplements along with well, I, I talk that? periodically to the APRN Council in Utah, people who actually see a lot of patients and prescribe antidepressants, and uh, several of the members of, of that body say they're using creatine and that it's, it's uh, helping them quite a bit. 5-HTP, we're just starting to publish our findings, so that will probably take a little bit uh, longer to become a standard. There's a theoretical concern that someone taking 5-HTP and an SSRI will develop an adverse event known as serotonin syndrome, so we tend to be very cautious with that, although it's not something we've seen in our clinical trials. So obviously people need to, if they want to play with these things, they need to talk to their psychiatrist or, or even their basic uh, MD. Before a they ab do absolutely, you know, and, and that's true in any trial of anything that's new or different. You're better off uh, uh, having someone who's in a position to know you well and to see how you're doing, just monitor and give you an independent opinion. In bipolar disorder, one of the classic symptoms of the disorder is you don't know that you're feeling especially up. Usually when you're feeling down, you do know that. But hypomania, especially hypomania becoming mania, can be a very dangerous situation for anyone with bipolar disorder. So yeah, you, you, you want to have someone as your co-pilot in making these kinds of changes, even though what we're thinking about is basically the use of natural products that are widely available, inexpensive, and well understood. Well, thanks for being with us on Salt Lake Speaks, Dr. Renshaw. Um, we'll post on with this podcast some links to connect you with uh, Dr. Renshaw and his team's research. And you can tune in to other discussions we've had on varying subjects at saltlakemagazine.com. Um, and again, I just want to say we will try to give you all the links possible. If you want to follow up, do your own, uh, get yourself educated about this 
fascinating effect of altitude on mood in, in the mountain states. Thank you again, Dr. Lynch. Oh, thank you for having me.